heard a lady tell this story. She was a nurse working in the emergency room of a hospital, and she said they had this regular visitor, a little boy named Billy, two years old, freckles, blonde hair, cute little boy. But for the past year and a half, he'd just been in and out of that ER numerous times. He had difficulty breathing. So the doctors thought he had asthma, and yet nobody in the medical staff was really satisfied with that answer. I mean, Billy never had asthma as an infant, and there was nobody in Billy's family that had a history of asthma, and there were no allergies or signs of allergies that might have caused the difficulty with the breathing. And yet, over and over again, they'd be bringing Billy into the ER. And sometimes he would even wind up in the pediatric ICU because he just couldn't breathe. So the doctors and nurses would treat him as though he had asthma, and they'd do their very best to care for him, and then they'd send him back home. Well, this went on for about a year and a half till finally one day one of the interns decided to take a look up Billy's nose. And there at the very back of the nasal passage, he found a big black jelly bean, a jelly bean that had been jammed up Billy's nose about a year before when Billy was wrestling with his older brother. So once they got the jelly bean out, Billy never had trouble breathing again. For more than a year and a half, the entire medical staff had been treating Billy for the wrong condition. I mean, how can you solve a problem unless you make a right diagnosis? So the nurses put signs on the walls of that emergency room, signs that read, look for jelly beans. <laughs> I like that. I think we need to put a sign on the book of Jonah. That's the book that we're going to be talking about today. We need to put a sign on the book of Jonah because many of us, when we read that book, we miss the point. We think this is simply a story about Jonah and the whale, and it's not. I mean, in the four chapters and 48 verses that make up this book, there's not even one mention of a whale. Now, it does talk about a big fish, but it only talks, that big fish is only mentioned four times in the span of three verses, so a very minor part of the story. Yet in the 48 verses that make up the book of Jonah, 38 times you read the name of God because he's the hero of this story. The book of Jonah is all about God and his love for us. And if you don't see that, you have missed the point. So let's do a quick recap. The very beginning of the book, God speaks to Jonah and says, basically, Jonah, you're my man, you're my prophet, and I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, and I want you to preach there. And Jonah says, no, <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. And he tells us why in chapter 4. God, I know you. I know what kind of a God you are. You're gracious and compassionate. You're slow to anger and abounding in love. And I know rather than judge these wicked people, and trust me, those people in the city of Nineveh were about as wicked as you could get, evil, violent, cruel, brutal. I mean, again and again, they would sin in the worst possible way. And Jonah says, God, I know you. Rather than punish them for all the wrong that they have done, you're going to find a way to save them. And I don't want that to happen. God, honestly, I don't want to spend all eternity in heaven with a bunch of Assyrians. So Jonah turns and runs the other way. He comes down to the city of Joppa. He finds a ship that's headed to the city of Tarshish, a city in the land of Spain, 1,200 miles in the opposite direction. So if he finally gets there, he'll be 1,700 miles away from the city of Nineveh. I want to get as far away from that place as possible because I don't want the people there to hear about or learn about the grace of God. So, as Jonah's traveling across the Mediterranean Sea, God's not about to give up on him. God sends a, a storm, such a storm that it puts the very ship he's on in peril. And everybody on the ship knows this. So Jonah tells all the sailors, hey, guy, this is my fault. This is all because of me. So if you want to solve things, you've got to throw me off the ship. Well, the sailors are kind of hesitant about 
doing that. So they try every other me uh, measure first to try to save that ship, and yet nothing seems to be working. And Jonah just keeps urging him, hey, trust me, guys, I know what I'm talking about. You've got to toss me overboard. So after lots and lots of prayer, these pagan sailors grab Jonah and throw him off the boat, and instantly the storm stops. Well, these pagan sailors, seeing how God's been working in these circumstances, suddenly their hearts, as the Bible says here in chapter 1, suddenly their hearts are filled with a great fear, literally meaning an overwhelming sense of awe and reverence for the Lord, and they drop to their knees and they begin to worship the God of Israel. I mean, it's one of the funny things about the book of Jonah. The more Jonah rebels, the more he tries to run away from God, the more God ends up saving other people. The pagan sailors there in chapter 1 and the pagan Assyrians living in the city of Nineveh in chapter 3. The more God shows his grace to Jonah, the more other people end up experiencing that grace too. Well, back to the story. Jonah's now thrashing about in the water, lost at sea, thinking to himself that he's about to die. But the Bible says at that moment, the Bible says that God appoints, and there's a key word, it's a word that's going to be used four times in this book. God appoints a big fish to come along and swallow Jonah. That word appoint literally means commission. It was a word used by kings and governors in the ancient world to talk about how they would appoint an ambassador, or appoint a messenger to carry out a special mission for them. So picture this scene. And just I know this is kind of corny. Just hang with me for a second. Picture this. God turns to this big fish and says, hey, fish, yes, Lord, I got a job for you. I got an assignment. I need you to do something for me. I need you to go pick up this guy named Jonah. And this is really important. When you find him, just swallow. Don't chew, just swallow. But you carry him around for a couple days, and then you drop him off wherever, you know, after a couple days, I'll tell you where to drop him off. And the, and the fish says, yes, Lord, your wish is my command. And so the fish goes hunting for Jonah. This fish is carrying out a special, appointed, is carrying out a special assignment for the Lord. Why? Because God, here's the main point, God has something special in mind for Jonah. Now, pause for a moment. Some of you are thinking to yourself, okay, wait a minute, David. Is this a fairy tale, or are you really trying to convince me that what we're reading here in the book of Jonah is an actual piece of history? Yeah, it's an actual piece of history. Oh, whoa, wait a minute, David. I'm not sure I can buy this. I mean, a fish, instead of eating, here's this big fish, rather than eating the man, he just simply swallows him. And, and this man remains alive there in the belly of this giant sea creature, and three days later he comes walking out alive and unarmed. Yep, that's what we're talking about. Oh, man, David, that's a lot to swallow, and it is. So if you've got questions about this, if you've got doubts about this, that's okay. As long as you'll do something with those doubts. You see, doubt's a good thing if that doubt motivates you to really check things out. So let, you, let me share with you what, how I've wrestled with this thing over the years. Early in my ministries, I was trying to figure out what's really going on here in the book of Jonah. I thought, I thought I had come up with an answer. I came across this story about James Bartley. Back in 1891, James Bartley was working on a whaling ship, a ship called the Star of the East. And one day he fell overboard and he got swallowed by a sperm whale. And he remained alive in the belly of that sperm whale for two and a half days. And then finally, he was rescued. He lived to tell the story. Well, even though sperm whales never swim around the Mediterranean Sea, I thought to myself, okay, here's my proof. What happened here in the book of Jonah? It has actually happened to other people. You see, it really is plausible. Well, a couple years after that, I learned this story is a hoax. It's just an urban legend. Yes, there really was a James Bartley, and yes, back in 1891, he was working on a whaling ship, a ship called the Star of the East, but he never fell overboard, and he never got swallowed by a whale. In fact, 
As far as I know, people who make a living studying animal behavior will tell you that there is no such sea monster that would just swallow its prey and then never try to take a bite and chew it. No such fish exists. Which means when you come to the book of Jonah and we're reading about a creature like this, in order for a creature of this nature to be in existence, it's going to take a miracle. So the real question that you've got to ask yourself when you come to the book of Jonah is this, are miracles possible? And my answer to that is yes. You see, at the heart of our faith is this claim, this belief, that our God is all-powerful. And our all-powerful God raised Jesus from the dead. The same Jesus who said, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, that just as Jonah, see Jesus accepts this as historical fact, Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three, day, three, days and three nights, just as we know that that really happened, so you can trust that this is really going to happen too. So I, the Son of Man, Jesus, will be found in the belly of the earth, the belly of the grave, for three days and three nights, and then God will raise me up. So if God can raise Jesus from the dead, and he did, then holding a man in storage for a couple days inside the stomach of a fish, that should be no problem at all. And it isn't. So don't get hung up on that. Or you'll miss the point of the story that our great God is doing great things here in the book of Jonah. In fact, the main word throughout the book of Jonah that is always associated with God is the word great. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, when God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, he didn't just say go to Nineveh, he said go to the great city of Nineveh. And there in verse 2, that word great has a sense of important. This city is really important to me. I really care about these people. Jonah doesn't care. He turns and runs the other way. So the Bible says God's not about to give up on Jonah either. He won't give up on Nineveh. He won't give up on Jonah. So as Jonah begins to run away, the Bible says God sends not just a win, but a great win. A great wind that stirs up a great storm, and there in the midst of that great storm, these pagan sailors are converted to God because a great fear comes upon their hearts, and per Jonah's request, and, fill, uh, and living in accordance with God's will, they take and they toss him overboard, where now God appoints not just a fish, but a great fish, a creature that is unique and special to him, to come along and swallow Jonah, and why? Why is God doing all these great things? Because God has something great in mind for Jonah. And what's really fascinating to me, in contrast to that, whereas in the book of Jonah, the main word that is used in association with God throughout that book is this word great. The main word throughout the book of Jonah that is used in reference to Jonah himself is the word down. Every time Jonah rebels, every time Jonah starts to run away from God, he keeps going down. God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no. And so he turns and goes the other way. And he comes down to the city of Joppa, where he finds a ship that is headed down to the city of Tarshish. And as he's traveling across the Mediterranean Sea, he comes down to the bottom deck of the ship so that he can get some sleep. But God stirs up a storm, and the sailors grab him and toss him overboard, and he goes down into the waters of that stormy sea. And God appoints a great fish to come along and swallow him. And now Jonah goes down into the belly of that fish, and on and on it goes. The more he runs away, the more he just keeps going down until finally you get to chapter 2 and here's Jonah at the very bottom of the sea. He can't get any lower. And it's here in chapter 2 that we finally hear Jonah pray. He's starting to turn back to God. So here at the lowest moment of his life when everything looks so bad, yet it turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to Jonah because God is using this whole experience to bring him back to the Lord. But here's the sad thing. Jonah has to learn that same lesson again. Because what happens in chapters 1 and 2 is repeated again in chapters 3 and 4. It's almost like the book of Jonah has two sections to it. 
In both sections, God is reaching out to a group of Gentiles. Chapter 1, he's reaching out to these pagan sailors in the midst of a storm. Chapter 3, he's reaching out to the pagan Assyrians living in the city of Nineveh who are about to experience the storm of God's judgment. But just as the pagan sailors in chapter 1 get down on their knees and cry out to God for help, so chapter 3, the pagan Assyrians get down on their knees and cry out to God for deliverance. And in both cases, God responds. God answers the prayers, and he saves them. And again, both sections of the book, we see Jonah rebelling. We see Jonah running away. In chapters 1 and 2, God uses this great fish to bring Jonah back to where he's supposed to be. But you get to the second section of the book, especially chapter 4, and here's Jonah once again exhibiting this really bad attitude. So this time God appoints a plant, maybe a little tree with big leaves, provides lots of shade, and Jonah, of course, really enjoys that. But then the next day God appoints a little worm. No. First couple chapters, this big fish. Now chapter four, just this little worm, but it's an instrument of God. Appoints that little worm to attack the tree, destroy it, and it removes the shade. And of course, Jonah gets all, uh, all upset. But God's using this whole experience to once again bring Jonah back to his senses. And the lesson in both sections of the book is the very same. God won't give up. God cares too much. No matter what you've done, he's going to keep reaching out. You ever had this experience where maybe you were high school or college, you're still living at home, and each day as you'd head out the door, rather than just say goodbye to your parents, you turn to your mom or you turn to your dad and say, I love you. And you remember how they would respond? I love you more. And initially in your young mind, you're thinking to yourself, hey, is this some kind of game, some kind of competition? Do you not think that my love for you is real and sincere? Why can't you just respond and say, I love you too? Why do you always have to act like, hey, I can top that. I love you even more. And then one day you become a parent and you discover that your parents weren't playing games. They were simply stating a fact. Because as strong as the love that a child feels for their parents, it doesn't begin to compare. How great and how strong the love the parent has for that child. The parent will always love their child more. So it is as a child of God. You may love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's great but it won't begin to compare how great God loves you. He will always love you more. And one of the proofs of that is here in the book of Jonah. Or think of it like this. Imagine this contrast. You know, you've been sitting in a hot tub, and you've been sitting there for quite a while, and as soon as you get out of the hot tub, you immediately go and jump in this icy cold swimming pool. Imagine the shock to your body, the shock that would be to your system. What a contrast. Well, imagine the shock that Jesus must have gone through when he left the majesty and glory of heaven where there's no sin at all, nothing ever goes wrong, and now he becomes this helpless infant there in the tiny village of Bethlehem, where as a baby, if somebody's not holding him, he could easily lose his balance and bounce his head against that stone animal trough that's now being used as his baby crib. Or think about how many times playing as a little boy, playing out there in the streets of Nazareth, and like any little boy, running up and down the streets, and how many times did he fall and scrape his knee? Or how many times growing up as a kid, just like anybody else, he would occasionally catch the flu and his stomach would get so upset he'd vomit because he couldn't hold the food down. All those unpleasant, difficult trials, hardships that he went through just so he could walk a mile in our shoes, just so he could identify himself with us. And then 33 years later, on a cross outside of Jerusalem, his face already covered with welts, the flesh already ripped off his back because of the whipping he received, the sky above him covered with dark clouds, the two people next to him are not his parents but two criminals, 
the people no longer singing Jose in the highest like they did a week ago. Now they're yelling and screaming, His blood be on us and our children. His earthly father, Joseph, has already died. His closest friends have all but abandoned him. It's his enemies who are now standing there at the cross, mocking and humiliating him. But worst of all is this. It is God himself who is now pouring out his wrath for all the wrong we have done. All our lies and our lust and our pride and our rebellion. He is now, he is now the punishment for all that sin is now being poured out upon Jesus. And yet as he hangs there in the cross, as he's suffering there in the cross, what does Jesus say? He prays, Father, forgive them. How could he say that? Because his love for us will always be stronger and greater than our love for him. It's no wonder that the Bible says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, Here's the best commentary on the book of Jonah. This is what the book of Jonah is all about. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the kind of love that is displayed throughout the book of Jonah. No matter where Jonah goes, God's going to follow God's going to go chasing after him. Even if it's to the ends of the earth, even if it's down to the bottom of the sea, God's going to do whatever it takes to bring him back to the right place. And what God was willing to do for Jonah, he is willing, more than willing, to do for you and for me. Let's pray. God, we are here today because we love you. And yet we know that love does not even begin to compare to the love that you have for us. God, may there be no doubt about that. Today, my prayer, God, is that you would renew our faith and restore our confidence in your grace and mercy. God, help us to believe again that there is no one who loves us more than you do. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a period of time in the early church when because of the persecution that the Christians were going through there in the city of Rome, they had to meet down in the catacombs, these underground caves, literally tombs, underground burial places. It was a dark moment where the church was just really taking it on the chin. But every Lord's Day, as they would gather there in the catacombs, they came together not just to worship the Lord, they'd also take time to draw pictures on the walls of the cave. Christian art that you can still see to this day. One of the figures that is etched on the walls of those caves, in fact, the one figure that's etched on the walls of the cave more than any other figure, at least from the Old Testament, more than Moses, more than King David, more than Abraham, the father of Israel, the one picture that you keep seeing in the walls of those caves again and again and again is Jonah. Why? Because it was the early church's way of saying, they're in that low moment, that dark place. It was their way of saying, God, we believe. We really believe that just as you raised Jonah up from the belly of that fish, just as you raised jo Jesus up from the dead, so you will raise up your church. You see, every Sunday morning when we come together to eat the bread and drink the cup, to celebrate Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are celebrating a very special love, the love of God. It's more than just a feeling. It's a love that changes things. It changes hearts. It changes lives. It is a love that saves and redeems. It is a love that brings us hope. The hope of Jonah, chapter 3, verse 1. And God came to Jonah a second time. That's the love that we celebrate today. The love of God that gives us a second chance.